Funding for this program was provided by the Patrons of the Death Panel Podcast. For more information on the college television course, video cassettes, off-air videotaping, and McGraw-Hill textbooks based on the series, call 1-800-LEARNER. Medicare for All Week crossover stunt charity hour. <laughs> we are. Br- but we you are- guys told me I wasn't going to have to answer phones. No, you won't. Oh, okay, good. We're broadcasting live from the headquarters of the IWW Podcaster Caucus. I'm wow. your host, Beatrice Adler Bolton of the Death Panel, joined by Artie Vierkant and Vince Patty, also of the Death Panel. And I'd like to welcome our esteemed guests, Leslie Lee III of Struggle Session. Say hello, Leslie. Hey, how's it going? And the one and only OK Fox of Art and Labor. What's up, OK? Everyone. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us today for this very important charity event. Um, <laughs> no, we're really glad to have everyone here, and I think we should just go ahead and dive right in, right? Sure. Yeah. Artie, do you think you could get us started with the first clip? Uh, sure. Uh, well, you know, this is a charity event, as we mm-hmm. said, although, of course, you can't uh, you can't there's make, nowhere to donate. Yeah, there's nowhere to donate. You can't make out a check to socialism um, <laughs> unless you count like, I don't know, contributions to. No, you can't make out a check to no, socialism. you can't make. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, in the vein of charity events such as this uh, crossover events, we thought that it would be good to, you know, when you have a when you have a charity drive, you play uh Clips of some of the best material from the network, say it's right. NPR or something. In this case, we're going to invert it a little bit um, <laughs> and use these as some jumping off points, basically, to talk about uh, some of the villainous ghouls that we're, that yeah. we're uh, rallying against. Exactly. So. I'd love to go ahead and get us started off with this fantastic clip. Um, I believe it's from last April from Vox's The Weeds. Sure. And it features one of <laughs> Death Panel's favorites, Matt Iglesias, on... Our topic of today, Medicare for All. So we, uh, yeah, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. To step back a, a little bit from, from the details of that statement, the big thing that's going on here, right, is that like Medicare for All is like it's it's fake news, <laughs> right? Like there's no, this is like it's it's not happening. Right. And not only is it not happening, but like no work is being done to make it happen. A lot of work is being done right now by many people to make Bernie Sanders president of the United States. The strategy is to A, win the presidential nomination, B, beat Donald Trump, become president, and then just approach healthcare starting with a high bid. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's. That's all that's going on. <laughs> so here. Um, that was our good friend Matt Iglesias. Wow. Oh yeah. my god! I was not informed that I would have to listen to Matt Iglesias' <laughs> voice before I was asked. Sorry to do to that. Come on I'm this sorry. show. 
If we Holy told you in advance, shit. you wouldn't have come. <laughs> why oh why do you think we lost Brian and Todd? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I have to listen to a one-minute Clint of Matt Iglesias. I'm very sick. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Man, yeah. um, where to start? I think the, the first thing is, like, so he's coming from this when he says no one is trying to make Medicare for all happen, right? Is that, is that mm-hmm. what he said? And what yeah. he means, of course, is that there's no, like, none of his friends in, like, think tanks <laughs> and like, newspapers and all this right. stuff are trying to make Medicare fall happen. Yeah, no, it's uh, in his little bubble, his NIMBY bubble in Washington, D.C., where they can fully see the scope of all the needs of everyone in America at once. Right. You know, they're sitting around talking about fake news, and political strategy and um an impeachment now right yes and now impeachment i mean i think arguments like this are things that on the death panel we're constantly engaging with and unfortunately i think it's like quite common among a very bougie professional it's very common amongst Klobucharians <laughs> to just uh, be like, no, it's not happening. Uh, f- f- fuck all of this. Fuck all of your uh, dreams of a better life. Like, uh, we are here and more powerful than you, and we are here to say no to you. Like, that's like their whole MO. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah, I mean- so. Which is so weird because, you know, if you look at the people who actually run the healthcare system, the backbones of it, nurses, from what I understand, a lot of the big uh-huh. nurses unions are pretty big behind Medicare for All. Now, they they don't work at, you know, the Center for American Progress or whatever, <laughs> but I do think they can be some movers and shakers when it comes to actually making Medicare for All the reality. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the people like Matt Iglesias, Nira Tandon is more of an expert on, um, you know, healthcare. Right, than, than, than any nurse. average nurse. Any nurse, oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I also think the his big mistake here is just this conflation of like electing Bernie Sanders to be the president and enacting Medicare for all. Like one is most, you know, potentially tied to the other or maybe inexorably tied. But I, I feel like his imp- chance. Yeah, I felt yeah. like his implication was that Medicare for all was a lie concocted in order to get Bernie Sanders elected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think there's a really dangerous mixing of like intent and policy intent that probably if Phil was here would have just sent him screaming out of the room in the first 30 seconds where <laughs> there's an implication that, you know, that that policies that could actually tangibly help people are somehow disingenuous because real left policy only serves to have an electoral st- like benefit and it's not actually real i have another read on this too which is that um i almost don't want even want to say this too often because i i feel like it's kind of in our best interest to for them to not understand but like um (laughs) the the, what what, like these folks that like think tanks and like um these big institutions like don't understand is like they they fundamentally don't understand the uh, opposite like theory of power that socialists have um and they they just are thinking in 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 a very like capitalist mindset their entire life and they just like they they don't even want to do any of the work to understand like what a a working class centered uh like political uh platform act like actually Mm -hmm. could look could look like in in the united states because they've never really had to grapple with it before oh yeah for them like 
they so it is true for the politicians that they support their politicians do make up fake policies in order to get elected, <laughs> right? like that that is what they do yeah so they're coming from th- th- their own perspective where of course you know whatever my candidate promises in the primary they're going to attack to the right on as soon as they win the primary and then when they're actually elected and governed then all the eggheads will get together and they'll decide what to do with the country for the next four years and it has no relation <laughs> to whatever they've been promising for the past you know two years that they've been running right, right. well yeah because like uh especially because the material needs of uh the people asking for these policies are of course also on top of it not real in the slightest i mean uh one of the uh, as uh, B sort of casually mentioned earlier, one of the uh, members of our like crossover event who was supposed to join us today, Todd from Beep Beep Lettuce, uh, you know, we fibbed a little bit. They We say, or he told us that he's sick, but of course we all know that that means in the American healthcare system, he's basically just in line to get put down. <laughs> um, I, I mean, so. well, uh, hmm. and the other, <laughs> I think the, the, the like maybe bigger more frustrating thing that we're sort of all like circling around is just the fact that like people like Matt Iglesias right get into like quote-unquote policy work not to like do anything really or to like mm-hmm. or help people right. and act right. exactly or to help anyone but right. really just to like pontificate and like hear themselves talk which well it's a it's a upwardly mobile class position well yeah. you know we, I mean? we actually know this factually we know this factually about Matt Iglesias because he said that the reason he got into politics is because he liked the West Wing so much and he wanted to be like the guys <laughs> in West Wing oh and all they do is talk too like like that's all they do they talk around issues they don't really help anybody they fail all the time but god damn it what they're doing is important and that's like he <laughs> wants that gravitas and that's that importance while actually mm-hmm. doing anything to ever help a single human being mm-hmm. ever and i think it's worth noting i will not force you guys to continue to wa- like listen to the rest of this audio clip but it does go on um and he goes on to continue to complain basically that all of these sort of policy proposals and ideas are um, exist in a almost West Wing space where the the point of politics is to win, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not to to actually like legislate. Or the the point of politics is to win a compromise, right? Exactly. Yeah. And my question to people like Matt Iglesias is like, at this point, I think it's quite. This clip is from April. Of right, last year. Of last year, 2019. So I think at this point in, in February of 2020, it's pretty obvious um, now that we have an urgent healthcare issue. So if if you don't want to solve it with Medicare for all, Matt, what the fuck are you going to do about it is kind of my question. Well, I, I think actually it's important to note exactly when this happened, because the reason their reason on the weeds for talking about Medicare for all in this situation was that the Pramila Jayapal bill in the House had just dropped. And um, the I believe this was like right after or just before but it had been announced that um, the Sanders bill, including long-term care, was about to be reintroduced, basically. Mm-hmm. So, like, his uh, proclamation that no one's doing work on Medicare for All was already also a lie at that point. It continues to be a lie whenever he says it. And, um, you know, on top of it, I think that when he says things like he's expecting people to do work on Medicare for All, it's <laughs> things like the... Uh, like, what he's expecting and would probably more likely laud is something like the... Uh, the Warren 
uh, pay for right. package plan, which clearly backfired so disastrously. Right. That- yeah. He does go on to say, you know, uh, it's just Medicare for all is just a bill. And, uh, you know, in all this time since it was introduced in 2017, the Sanders team has refused to satisfy pundits who are asking for, you know, answers to some very concrete questions. Again, the pay for. I mean, I think maybe this might be a good moment to transition into clip number two. Sure. So now back to our regularly scheduled programming, CBS This Morning, um, on medical debt. Our series, A More Perfect Union, aims to show that what unites us as Americans is far greater than what divides us. This morning, how one doctor's idea for reducing medical debt is bringing a community together. Meg, good morning. Good morning, Anthony. The numbers are staggering. Around 43 million Americans under 65 have past due medical bills. And according to a recent study, yearly U.S. medical debt totals $88 billion. One surgeon in the nation's heartland is offering to eliminate debt for his patients if they agree to pay it forward. Nebraska surgeon Demetrio Aguila is on a medical mission. Oh my God. After serving eight years as an Air Force doctor across Asia, he realized he could make an impact closer to home. We can't ignore the people in our own backyard. The nerve specialist saw a recurring problem at his clinic healing hands of Nebraska, patients who couldn't afford surgery. We want to be able to offer hope to patients who have lost hope medically. Six months ago, Aguila started a program that offers patients the option to pay for surgery by volunteering for local humanitarian groups. He and his staff calculate the number of hours required based on the complexity of the surgery. Wow, I wish I could get all my health care like this. <laughs> Is that what I need to be doing? Is that yeah, in de- indentured servitude. Service? Yeah, you need to be doing indentured yeah. servitude for medical debt. That's exactly what this country <laughs> needs to bring us all together. That's uh, wow, so coherent. Of politic, there. Yes, love it. Yeah, I, look, I'm willing to accept the argument that you know the sort of mushy person who would you know look at this and say, "Oh, that's a great thing that's happening," right? But what <laughs> I would ask them is, "Okay, how does that erase however many billions of dollars of debt?" That's not a plan that can work and for you can't like scale that plan up in order to get rid of debt or like <laughs> it's not even getting rid of debt it's preventing more debt from being created it's doing like i don't even know why they mentioned the amount of medical debt in the first place because they're not paying off like they're doing this as an agreement for getting like a new procedure or surgery that they need in order to live and now right. they're in <laughs> right. before we even get to indigenous servitude part let's just point out that this is this is not an answer this is not a solution this doesn't work <laughs> even if it wasn't like slavery even if it was <laughs> no. if it wasn't slavery it doesn't work well and 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 the other thing is like if you just think about the way that like all procedures in America are ridiculously artificially inflated so that like well, hospital corporations can charge, uh, you know, can charge insurance companies ridiculous amounts of money and like, you know, just run more money around in this like stupid fucking loop where they yeah. like extract, you know, extract a little bit each time from patients uh, that like y- you would literally need to do, you know, like one year's labor for like back surgery or something like that just like it's yeah. insane tylenol <laughs> 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 
Like, no, I'm I mean, just thinking of the doctor that gets in their heads like, hey, if I can, you know, jack these prizes up, I can have like an army of like slaves that work for me. twenty <laughs> I don't even have to hire staff. I can just like ha- I can ha- have everybody working for me in my home and my office uh, paying off their own surgeries. Oh, like a grocery co-op. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think that's. I think we nailed it. I think that's the uh, the future model of American healthcare that we so desperately need. Is it the Park not, Slope Co-op? Health? It's not single payer. Yeah, exactly. It is the Park it's, Slope Food Co-op. Oh you're God. the nurse. Oh my no, but it's like a fucking <laughs> medical plantation. Up? I'm sorry. It's ugh. well. Yikes. I I mean, it, you know, I think this does definitely address a real problem, which is that doctors are not happy about having patients that they cannot help, you know, as part of this series. Um, Vince and I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Victoria Dooley, um, who practices in uh, Michigan outside of Detroit. And she said, you know, I only let reps in for certain samples that I know people need. You know, I have to do wellness checks and and send uh, employees to go call people to make sure that they're taking their medication because, you know, people with chronic illnesses like COPD or um, hypertension, which can can be very deadly um, if not managed, I just can't afford their basic medications anymore. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I can I can speak to that a little bit because like when when I was um, a teenager, my uh, family became uninsured and we would go to like um, a nurse family friend who would just give me um, sample medications <laughs> from these right, reps. Yeah. Like that's literally a thing that happens. That's not like some, yeah, yeah I mean, I can, it does. It happened to me when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did that for a couple of months earlier this year with um, my uh, methotrexate injections before yeah. I went to the cheaper one when I had the $800 spring. Which for wow. those not in the note is legit chemotherapy so and it's like chemo- chemotherapy that's a trial sample from oh a farmer rep proverbial briefcase of just like you know like life-saving medication that they're like yeah just fuck it like a handful as many as you can carry well i mean uh, oftentimes uh now like going in now that i have medicare it's it's amazing i wish i could just like fill prescriptions for my friends you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. It's been life changing to know that when I'm budgeting for prescriptions every month because I have extra help from the st- like state of New York, I never have to spend more than um, I can afford to just maintain my medicines. Whereas before, I always used to joke with Artie where we would go to Walgreens and I would try and guess what the total would be before I even got to the counter. And I was usually right. And it was usually like between 67 and $80, which would happen like two to three times a month. Yeah. You know, well, just wild. The only game where being right is really unfun. Yeah. Yeah. Nine <laughs> yeah. years of uh, guessing your prescription prices, you really follow uh, follow how those copays have ticked up. You yeah. Know? Um, the amount of medications I'm on hasn't changed in years. How many uh, highway cleanup shifts is that? <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I would have to do more community service than I think you would have in your entire lifetime. Yeah, I think sure. I would have yeah. to be. This is like a I've extended beyond a lifetimes of community service. So then, at what point does your family then also start taking on the burden of your your debt, your medical debt, as think, their labor as well? I think that was actually part of this uh, original story too, because this uh, this doctor who has this oh, practice Jesus. of doing this with um, some, you know, I guess there's some like they talk about there's some vetting process or something that happens, but. Uh, of course, some of the 
some of the things that you can do for community service, et cetera, are like physical labor that is like difficult or impossible for like some people who are either disabled or recovering from a major surgery, like they're trying to pay for with the, uh, with right. the charity work. <laughs> um, so they, like there is an option to like have your friends and family like do hours for you too. Uh, which is kind of like a GoFundMe, but with your time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But, Sweat but, equity. But, and what we have mentioned is even if, when you're doing the charity work, money isn't changing hands. I'm assuming none is being generated. So whenever we talk about Medicare for all, people like ask, like, what's the cost? What's the cost? Well, essentially, this surgeon is giving away like the procedures for free and just right. making yeah. them go and do work somewhere else was not actually like <laughs> generating any kind of funds or income so if you were trying to scale this up like you're it, it would have I, I don't know where are the costs where who's paying for this who's paying for his time yeah. the surgeon's time like he's just doing volunteer shit well fuck. right well yeah. It, but yeah but it, it just means that like <clears throat> you know if if i guess this like but, sort of like cruelty care for all is like administered by the government presumably you'd be like stamping license plates somewhere like uh, that yeah. feels like the end yeah. state of this oh it reminds yeah. me so much of those stories particularly you see them often in the guardian um or like any local newspaper which is also basically like the guardian where uh it's like local town bands together to make pvc pipe wheelchair for five-year-old boy who can't walk right. you know town bands together to uh all carpool a woman around who's 86 and walks five miles to work every day you know yeah, these, right. are, these are not um heroic <laughs> interventions these are huge obvious chasms in the safety net which people have you know risen to fill right which you know i think we have a responsibility to one another to do right I like for for every one of those inspirational stories, there's hundreds of stories that are are very similar, but ends with somebody like getting brutally killed in in some way that didn't need right, to happen. Yeah. Well, and it's also every single one is like town bands together to do sort of like ridiculously impractical, unscalable solution to problem to fix something that shouldn't be a problem in the first place. Exactly. Some sort of perhaps socialized behavior. <laughs> Well, anyway, I, I think I, Le Leslie, to your point, like, you know, it, then this is just like just spreading the misery around a little bit more and extending the band-aid a little bit more instead of having like doctors be able to treat people in need because they're paid for service and no one has to like um, be put out in order to receive care instead. Oh, no. Like if you want to have that good feeling at the end of the day, you also have to be working for free. Yeah. Which sounds more like a, uh, you know, right wing critique of socialism than anything else in a way. You know what I mean? It's the line they always use. Do you want to play the second part of this clip, the follow up? Uh, yeah, I just uh, this file this under like the I don't know, the simulation realizing it is a simulation <laughs> or something. Uh was there a glitch in the matrix? It's all about hope. Right now, it's a small program with just eight people, but Dr. Aguila told me since he started this program and we were talking last night, he said, Meg, my stress level has gone down, my job satisfaction has soared, and he's just hoping that this inspires more doctors to look at unconventional methods to help their patients. How does he afford to maintain his practice if he's doing these surgeries for free? Right, that's a big question. So about 10%, he estimates, 
will qualify for this. So 90% of patients are still paying so they can stay afloat. Think of it like a lawyer doing pro bono work. Mm -hmm. He's done this for years around the world. It's just right now he's doing it in his backyard. I I think it's great that he's doing it. It's a little peculiar to live in a country where people are working off their medical needs. Somebody get that guy off screen. He's got a script. No, no. Commercial music. Cut to commercial. Put the music. Put the music. It's like that we were watching uh, Squawk Box uh, coverage of Davos, and there's one point where uh, the CEO of BP starts arguing with one of the hosts of Squawk Box, which is uh, before the market commentary show. And the producer puts the music up, and for a full, like, I would say about minute 20 seconds, they're arguing with the music up full blast outside in the snow in Davos before they even actually cut to commercial. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're like, we didn't have one queued up. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, doctor job satisfaction. It is like a point that we've come to a lot in the series as well. Like when we sat down with Adam Gaffney um, to talk about, you know, just like the reasons why physicians want Medicare for all. Um, So I, I totally believe that this doctor is sleeping better because he's being able to send more people back to their Amazon factory jobs with fixed oh, backs, you yeah. know, but uh <laughs> Shouldn't come at the expense of him having to work for free, for sure. <laughs> I mean, the, I think uh, after one thing that I sort of realized after our conversation with Dr. Dooley is really just that, like, uh, you know, she 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 mentions essentially like being graded right on or 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 being mm-hmm. um, rated, you know, on like her patients uh, medication compliance. Exactly. On her patients medication compliance. And. And she makes the point that, like, you know, because she does work in a low income area and she works with like all different kinds of people, like her medication compliant rates are lower than most doctors. And and a lot of people assume that that's because she's a shitty doctor. And like it just is such a it, it you know, even the way that we like assess this sort of stuff, it completely ta- like misses uh the fact that like doctors like job satisfaction has like a lot to do with like how able they are to fucking help people right right no exactly and and there's also like a very very like cruel existing structure that punishes uh physicians for working in areas that have higher need and lower income like in rural hospital settings or at you know like city hospitals like at hhs in new york city like it's um it's definitely a problem Oh, actually, Todd isn't dead. Um, he just sent me proof of life. Let's uh, let's go check in with Todd from Beep Beep Lettuce for a second. Hey, guys. Todd from Beep Beep Lettuce here. And ironically enough, I'm actually sick right now, so I can't be on the podcast. But I love Death Panel. Talking about healthcare justice is incredibly important because it affects literally every single one of us. Because every single one of us has a body, and we're probably going to get sick at some point whether it's when we're old or whether we have an accident or whether we were just born with some bullshit that makes our body just crap out at any random time. Like for me, for example, I hurt my fucking nose a couple years ago, deviated my septum, and I also have chronic sinusitis. That's just some shit I was born with. So I go to a doctor. They're like, we can fix this. It'll be a quality of life increase. You'll be able to live again. Like I couldn't breathe. It's just like I couldn't breathe at night. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to have to get one of those fucking machines for sleep apnea or some shit like that. And I go to the specialist. He's like, we can do the surgery and totally fix you, but it's going to cost you four grand. So here I am. I'm like, I I need this surgery, obviously, because I keep waking up 
unable to breathe at night because my fucking noses and, and my sinuses are fucked up. So I had to make it work. I end up for months, I'm working 50, 60, 70 hour weeks overtime, time and a half to pay for the surgery, which should be fucking free. Like if you hurt yourself, you should, you should be fixed. It's fucking universal healthcare. That's what we should have. That's what they have in every other fucking country, right? And those countries aren't perfect, but if they can do it, we can fucking do it. The other thing is I was born with an autoimmune condition. So my body, my immune system will straight up attack itself. Uh, unless I take a pill every morning, right? And I got lucky because I don't have any symptoms of that. My body hasn't started attacking itself yet. But it was caught on a test, like a blood test. Because I could afford to get a physical. Because I have pretty okay insurance. Now, if I change employers or change insurance, I lose that. I lose the ability to go for a checkup, find out how it's doing. I lose the ability to call my doctor and be like, hey, can you renew this pill that I need to live? And that's fucked up. That's incredibly fucked up. I don't want to have that hanging over my fucking head. That shit should just be free because it costs money. And then there's, like, there's a copay, right? I have insurance, but there's a copay. That's in How insane is that? That's just fucking insane. So we got to fight for universal health care. We can't settle for shit that's called universal health care, but isn't universal health care. And uh, that's my piece. Thanks for having me on the pod. And uh, you asked for a rant, though. I gave you a rant. I love you all. Have a good one. Bye. Well, that was very well put. You know, Todd's right. You can't settle for anything less than free at the point of service and actual real Medicare for all. Thanks, man. We love you, too. Get well soon. But uh, should we go into clip three? Sure. I think this is... This is where it kind of gets a little bit more fun because we're starting to get into the the broader question of how socialized medicine leads to socialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, this is, uh, do you want to set up? Yeah, this is? this is my good buddy, Chip Roy. Um, he is from the great state of Texas. He is in uh, the okay. House of... Freshman Republican House member. Yes, he um, is awful. And a survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Which makes him an expert on Medicare for All being <laughs> yes. bad. Therefore, as a patient, his opinion is 100% correct. <laughs> for sure. Artie, you want to go ahead and play us in? Sure. Uh, and this is from the, the floor of the house, just yeah. to drive this home. Mr. O'Day, do you make brentuximab? I do not. I'm sorry, Congressman. Brentuximab vidotin is the drug that I took. When I was suffering from Hodgkin's lymphoma, a drug that was created, built, manufactured, developed, designed, created by a private company that made a lot of money. And I'm really glad they did. I hope they make a lot more. But to sit here and attack the capitalistic system that produces and distributes medicine that's saving lives around the world, I mean, it is just offensive. I mean, I just cannot possibly understand why we're spending time sitting here while I listen to people lecturing companies about making money. I hope you make a lot of money. <laughs> Rob by dead body on the side of the highway. <laughs> yeah. oh. hey, wait, can, can I just, before we get into like Strip a... Strip me for parts and sell me to pharma. <laughs> before we get into a serious critique, can I just note that he literally sounds like what I imagine Will Ferrell doing an impression of Chip Roy would sound like. He like literally <laughs> does sound exactly yeah. like fucking Will Ferrell. <laughs> 
<clears throat> anyway, I mean, continue. we don't have Serious to do like takes. a we don't have to do a serious take on this because <laughs> let's be honest, this is an audio clip of a grown man having a hysterical temper tantrum on the floor of the house, um, interrogating a drug representative and ranting about everyone's critique of capitalism. Um, you know, it's, I feel like uh, the drug rep is probably just like, ugh, give me the socialist, like. At least I was prepped on how to deal with that person. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, so sorry. Go ahead. I guess the one question is like, does he actually believe this stuff? Is this the first time he's hearing the idea that like making money off of like uh, dead people <laughs> is bad? Like, it, is he actually, you know, caught off guard? And this is genuine emotion from him. Because I can imagine if you're like a rep from Texas, it's never been explained to you that the profit motive <laughs> can be like a bad thing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I do totally feel you there. And I think Chip Roy is a fantastic actor, actually, because the emotion really does come through in his voice. But unfortunately, this is a, a thing he kind of became known for. Oh. In his first term. Um, and and so at the end of his like speech, he came to, to do his time, you know, as I think this was on Ways and Means Committee on a drug pricing bill, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And um, so he comes and he does his rants. Right. And he's got very deep ties to pharma lobbyists. Um, and uh, then he leaves. And doesn't stay for the rest of the hearing. So I mean, and he's he's also speaking hit to his constituency of like guys with big hats, like you know, tycoon oil tycoons, like other types of tycoons because there's like no oil anymore. So like all these guys just want to be Texas tycoon types and. Uh, that's who he's speaking to. Oh, <laughs> he took I, his, I, you're I just, saying <laughs> I just looked him up. This dude is actually from like DC. He's from Bethesda, lived in Lovettsville, so he's from the <laughs> northern. <laughs> he's from the fucking so you know, the, the insurance guys the are right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I was gonna say. He's like, playing a role. He's a, well. He's a true believer because I I did myself the absolute. Uh, Un like irreversible disservice of listening to an entire interview with Chip Roy on like the Federalists oh, podcast. Oh, I forgot about that. That was so <laughs> awful. Yeah, and um, he's like he's he's full on. Uh, you know, one of one of these like Republican guys who like the first thing that he'll go to when anyone mentions like Medicare for all is he'll be like, oh well, like what these liberal what these like liberals don't understand is. Uh, if you if you do Medicare for all, I mean, just look at Medicare now. Like Medicare will be bankrupt in like a year and a half or something, which is always the line, right? But um, which they're trying to do, you know, Seema Verma is trying to do anyways by trying to force uh, bank, yeah. yeah Medicare to pay for, like private insurance rates, right? But, but I mean, but also yeah, his entire argument is this thing of uh, you know the the way that we get good health care uh, putatively the way that i was saved my life was saved etc uh from this uh, non-hodgkin's lymphoma was just because of the glory of capitalism right and how dare you insult it mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's uh you know the thing that's so funny too is that his wife um i guess engages in fighting a lot of his twitter battles for him as well <laughs> and when we initially posted this clip like months ago now um i was tweeting at him and his wife started responding and she (laughs) like jumped down my throat came into my dms and called me a petulant child who was ungrateful for like the treatment that capitalism had brought to me 
And I responded, sending her uh, NCIB links about how the NIH had fully funded, like, the development of 75% of my medications. <laughs> and she blocked me. Like, so. I was so about to say, I, I respect her for getting in there and fighting for her, her man. For that's cowardly <laughs> to block after you jump in somebody else's DM. That's, you, you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Or do you want to um, give us a little bit more of a, this beautiful man? Yeah. So uh, he 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 happened to go on, and then the if last. If you're starting thing, to feel like he has a point or it has any clarity, you know. And then uh, the last thing in this clip that I don't know if you'll like, you probably won't hear it or not, but like the he literally unplugs the line out on like his uh, computer and storms off after this. Yeah, leaving uh, former uh, Representative John Lewis very confused. When it'll go down, how much cash on hand does Apple have? $245 billion. How much has Apple done to go cure health? <laughs> it is a good thing that Apple makes a crap ton of money making these things so that we can have them and distribute them and use them and use them for great additions and benefits to the world. And it is the same thing in the medicine. Yeah, so then yep. he storms out. That was his <laughs> contribution. <laughs> he came just for that, um, gave this speech, spit everywhere, unplugged his laptop and stormed out before anyone could even respond, apparently. Yeah. So. Lord. Yeah. <sighs> Maybe you know, somebody I, just need to tell him that Apple is bad, too, and that would like, right. him down a little bit. I don't know if he's ready. Maybe he's, maybe that would just shatter the whole thing for him. You know, I don't know. I guess that's what you need. So. I'm, I mean, he's probably kicking himself now that uh, now that. Trump and Bill Barr in that big like privacy fight with Apple over the terrorist passcodes. He's probably just he like probably Ugh. doesn't give a shit. He probably like, doesn't no even one know. Gives a shit about I mean, yeah, that. that's the yeah. It, it it's just funny how like little these like you know representatives like uh, essentially like try to know about any given thing so that they can essentially say that it's bullshit because they don't know anything about it. It's like mm -hmm. it's a great. Like, like it, like their his job must just be like sick, right? Because he just walks around with like you know a a sack with a dollar sign on it, and like gets a free lunch every fucking day, right, right. and like his, doesn't his, actually have to read anything. His job is just to like LARP as Yosemite Sam type to try to like get all the other Yosemite Sam types to rally around him so that all of their profits can just continue to just go up and up indefinitely. It doesn't matter how many. People who are like in need of these drugs, or if we're talking about a Apple, like producing the, the these technologies, die as long as their pockets are lined. It's like it's just so naked, right? But he's but he's insulated himself, uh, you know, several uh, several um, degrees of separation away from that kind of misery. So he's totally clean. He's like, a good crony. He shows up and and does as he's told, you know? Yeah. Even when he's told to, like, tweet against Trump, he there was a news cycle uh, hit for him a couple of weeks ago where he was bragging that he he's, uh, feels fine standing up to Trump on Twitter because, you know, it's about negotiating the Republican goals or whatever. Right. You know, it's just... <laughs> He's, he's just a lobbyist shill, and he's, like, rolled out as needed. He's, like, walking around Texas now warning people that California is shipping homeless people to Austin. <laughs> Great. I wish I were joking. Yeah. Great. Uh, well. any, any final thoughts on our friendship? <laughs> no. So. no. Do you want to go ahead and uh, play that Reagan clip, Marty? Yeah. Okay. So here's where... Here's where uh, it gets fun. Yeah. I guess. So we've tortured you guys enough. Now we're going to give you crowd favorite. Oh, my God. Time for some words of wisdom. 
by the Gipper himself. <laughs> My name is Ronald Reagan. I have been asked to talk on uh, several subjects that have to do with the problems of the day. One of the traditional methods of imposing statism or socialism on a people has been by way of medicine. It's very easy to disguise a medical program as a humanitarian project. Most people are a little reluctant to oppose anything that suggests medical care for people who possibly can't afford it. It is presented in the idea of a great emergency that millions of our senior citizens are unable to provide needed medical care. But this ignores the fact that in the last decade, 127 million of our citizens in just 10 years have come under the protection of some form of privately owned medical or hospital insurance. Now the advocates of this bill, when you try to oppose it, challenge you on an emotional basis. They say, what would you do? Throw these poor old people out to die with no medical attention? Once you establish the precedent that the government can determine a man's working place and his working methods, determine his employment. From here, it's a short step to all the rest of socialism to determining his pay. And pretty soon, your son won't decide when he's in school where he will go or what he will do for a living. He will wait for the government to tell him where he will go to work and what he will do. Oh, oh my God. I that was that before he was so governor much. of California, right? I just want to say I hate him so much. He makes my skin crawl. He was the president when I was, you know, growing up as a little kid. And it's just I still don't understand, like, what people saw in him. He's just a fucking actor. He can speak. He's eloquent. And that's it. But he's an absolute, you know, fucking abyss of a human being. Pure <laughs> human. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, fuck Ronald Reagan so much. Yeah. Don't you yeah. kind of miss, though, when, like, the... When like the shitty right wing politicians were sort of like better spoken, no, <laughs> not particularly. No, I, I I want them to be like as they are, truly as they are. I mean, that's why all the never Trumpers like just hate Trump so much is because he's just like a complete other goofball. But he's like he's no different than Reagan. He's probably not even worse. Right. Also, they're still around. They're just Pete Buttigieg now. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's true. Like like our you know the current democratic establishment is really no different from Reagan. Um, that's like Obama was. I mean, pretty much a continuation of like of yeah. Reagan, Obama said he wanted to be like Reagan, Yeah, exactly. I mean, all of this shit we've we've had to. I mean, they're they're speaking to the like to the electorate, which is like especially during Reagan's time. It's like it's always like skewed like wealthier and whiter. And like for for people like that, like they just want everyone else to be like punitively under their boot because they want to feel like they earned mm -hmm. their shit fairly and that they don't owe anybody anything. But like, ev like we we all know that that's not fucking true, and that all of the wealth that they have was built on the backs of other people. Mm -hmm. Totally, no, and it, it, like I think it's like really interesting just to see you know how many times over the years uh, that healthcare specifically has been held up as sort of the uh, like a dam of socialism, right? right. That like mm -hmm. healthcare in and of itself lends itself so well to a system of socialized spending and central coordination, you know? Right, that, which really is what I think I wanted to talk about with this, which is that like. Um, I, I think his prescription sounds great 
frankly, that if we achieve socialized medicine, <laughs> that essentially yeah. it's the first step. <laughs> it's the break in the dam towards uh, socialism. You know, yeah. that's uh, that's reason enough to fight for Medicare for all. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second, actually. So maybe maybe this is actually a good strategy. Maybe we should be listening <laughs> to Ronald Reagan, no. <laughs> but oh, taking God. away the opposite lesson. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, the reason he he's fighting so hard against it, of course, is because he know, as he says, it's going to work, and the healthcare system does lend itself to being socialized, and everybody, once it happens, will love it and won't want to go back. Just the thing that you know kind of strikes me because I haven't heard we haven't heard this line too much lately is that oh, we don't want the government. Uh, to run healthcare. I'm sure the Republicans are still mm-hmm. saying it, but that hasn't been in the news cycle lately. It's mostly been like, how are we going to pay for it? But like, right. uh, if you, if your concern is like, I don't want the government to run it. Like, do you like the insurance companies running it? They who have complete <laughs> yeah. power over you um, have no accountability towards you. Don't give a fuck if you live or die or die in You could be dropped at any time also. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's interesting, the whole idea of like how care and responsibility and do you want to spend your sundowning years telling your children like, you know, free America doesn't have any of this commie bullshit. Everyone's got private insurance. It's fine. Like, that's a very reductionary, like sad way of looking at things. But, you know, for a lot of people, it is unfortunately like um, hugely integral to their profit motive and their business practice you know what i mean mm-hmm. um anyways so yeah no it's like um we're we're sort of in this position where um i think we actually do you know if anything about the conversations that we've had as part of this series it's become very clear like how long the same messaging has been employed over and over um by opponents to this who mm-hmm. are like specifically only basically funded from industry you know and that the the efforts to like suppress speech that would provide any any other uh angle on any of this coverage is like pretty effective you know if you think about the doctor story the first uh one that we were talking about you know you're hearing from the physician not the patients who are actually being forced to do the manual labor in order to get their surgery yeah but i mean also in terms of the messaging never really changing uh down to like the phrase socialized medicine which yeah exactly is like a, the product of like pr companies basically um, right. who were hired by the ama can, can i just say uh, too that um that like so you know the people were you know calling like even the fucking clintons were calling for uh, universal healthcare of some sort in the '90s, and I think a lot of the reason why um, they've uh, they totally stopped was because like they successfully like bandaided over a lot of people's needs by like um, expanding Medicaid in the cities. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's kind of nuts that a lot of like people in in New York City, for example, are on. Uh, Medicaid, like a lot of like, like the hello, you know, low, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Sorry, <laughs> exactly, and 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 so like you know we, you know, New York is so blue that like you know we've been trying to get like uh, Medicaid for all here for a while, and it's been harder, I think, because a lot of people are pretty much fine. I think the problem, like that, that the Democrats are are now facing is like nationally, this is it, it needs like. All of these other states that have just been totally gutted are suffering so greatly 
that mm-hmm. it's it's going to have to happen. I think even if like Bernie is totally rat fucked and isn't able to become the nominee for whatever bullshit reasons, um, I think they're going to have to contend with um, uh, providing a medic or Medicare for all system to every state. Yeah, and I think it's a long project, but I think healthcare is definitely a good first step. Uh, should we talk about anyone have any uh, healthcare horror stories they want to share with the listeners? Because this is Medicare for all. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, is debt even the horror story now? Like, does it even matter? <laughs> it's just saying that, like, I my family owes, but just me and my wife owe like thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Like, but that's like everybody now, right? Everybody yeah. is just right. like. D- so it's not even really a horror story but it's just you know i we lived in japan uh, my wife lived in japan for several years and i lived uh, there for several years that's where we met um just how much simpler and easier things are when you do have universal health care like it was horrific mm-hmm. for her because she has spent so much time in japan to come here and realize you just can't go to the doctor on the corner you have to like go on your uh, insurance company's awful universally awful website to try and find a doctor (laughs) near you that does it you need to call and then you have to call the place to make sure you're still open make sure it's not a satellite office make sure the hours on the website are correct make sure they actually take your insurance in spite of what it says on your insurance company's website and then if you want to get you know medicine oh you can in japan you just go to any pharmacy anywhere but in america oh you have to go to cvs because you're far because your insurance company says you have to go to cvs and you have to have your cv a special card for this and it's just so much more complicated (laughs) than just walking in any hospital anywhere in the country any local doctor's office anywhere in the country that's the really big thing for me it's like there's right. so there's local doctors like ev- in every neighborhood in japan that you can just go to and walk in and that's that and that's who your who your doctor is and and it's just so much simpler easier makes so much more sense than this byzantine you know, system we have that doesn't work costs more and leaves mm-hmm. everyone um, completely and utterly in debt. And totally. ultimately, I mean, doesn't serve patients well either. Right? You know yeah. what I mean? And well, and also even like to that to that point, like there was a there was like a Bernie Sanders tweet, uh, like they do frequently now. Um, the other day that was like, uh, have you ever um, like avoided taking an ambulance because uh, of like a health insurance related thing? Almost every like, single time I need to. Right. I was going to say <laughs> it's like to that to that point about like just being able to walk into any hospital. Like if you call an ambulance, you literally can't decide which hospital you're going to. I mean, this is really maybe more of like a uh, problem if you're living in a like a big city or something where it's right. Like if you have choice of more than one hospital. Right. Sure, exactly. Yeah. So like regularly. Uh, too regularly, unfortunately, like if it comes down to that question of like which where where are you going to end up going and you have to get a cab or something. Right. And these these band aids they aren't holding. They've been trying to put just paste on these band aids forever, forever, forever. Like like um, I've I've been on like Medicaid like my my whole like life basically, except for when I was uninsured. But um, right. when uh for. You know, for most of my adult life, uh, Medicaid, even in yeah. uh, New York, um, did not cover dental. <laughs> so I went a good like seven years without seeing a dentist, which 
is like wild. That's like if you have cavities bad enough, like they could fucking kill you, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah. That's no, how most I mean, people used to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, dentists used to also be surgeons. I mean, I think the point at which dental preventative dental care was somehow split from medical care um, is actually a really interesting point. I remember um, in the 90s growing up, I, I was very fortunate to grow up with union insurance. So for many years, I didn't realize that um, that not one, not everyone had insurance. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you had to pay copays because our insurance had no copays and no premiums. Um, it was just sort of part of your union dues. It's the largest right. single uh, insurance group in the country. It's the motion picture, like health and uh, welfare union plan, right? Like everyone in a film and television in- industry job in the United States has this insurance, right? And it was fantastic. As long as you worked enough, you kept your hours, you were fine. So when I first got sick, you know, I never worried about where I went to the doctor for the first three years because I still had this great insurance, but I graduated college. And as soon as I graduated college, this was like, you know, a plan that had grandfathered in things through the ACA that meant that they didn't have to honor insuring me up till 26. And my medical costs tripled. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, fuck. Like, if I'm having an allergic reaction, I need to EpiPen myself and hail a taxi. I no longer (laughs) can afford to take an ambulance at all. And this is like for an anaphylactic reaction. I think it was like the third date already and I were on. I had a I had an allergic reaction to a Bloody Mary because someone had cut mango on the same cutting board. And (laughs) so I had to explain to him why we had to go to the emergency room now and know absolutely whatever you do, do not call 911. Right. This is an emergency. Put the phone down. (laughs) (laughs) God. Brutal. I have a... Uh, it's like funny in that same vein of uh don't call the don't call the ambulance like a family friend who used to race motorcycles like probably not the best thing to do if you're uninsured but like fully uh (laughs) like bone like a a bone sticking through skin situation like loaded up in the back of a pickup truck and like taken to a hospital because like the airlift was going to be like fourteen thousand (laughs) dollars oh yeah Totally. Yeah, I mean, and that's the reality of rural healthcare is like a lot of times if you get sick or there's an emergency, like it is too far. Yeah. To get to a trauma center or an emergency center or it's too expensive. Yeah. And like those people under capitalism are told over and over that they're worthless um, and that they're not valued. And meanwhile, you know, we're just extracting their labor and trying to fix them up to send them back off to work. You know, and you see that with like the way um, even the people who are lucky enough to have health insurance through their job, you know, every year those benefits are getting smaller. Um, You know, Phil uh, at his university, they made them wear Fitbits or something. And they started including these like wellness programs a couple of years ago. And that's all just um, they're extracting more wealth out of the patients by extracting their data. It's bullshit. No, exactly. Well, and it's just, I think it comes with like this realization, right? That like you can get people to work just as hard, even when you don't offer as much like, uh, you know, sort of like if you're thinking about like the car analogy, like fucking maintenance, right? Like you can do just like, you can get someone to do just as much work without like, you know, helping to maintain their body as much. Like, and, right. and employers are just like realizing that and, and cutting benefits. And I think because we're wrapping up, I think I'll just say it is inherently immoral to profit off of providing 
care to someone in need of care. Yes. And, uh, Absolutely. And there's no perfect means test that's going to cover fucking everybody. If you have a fucking means <laughs> test, that means all, somebody's always going to fucking slip through the cracks and the blood is on your hands, fucking liberals. Hell yes. Exactly. Okay. I'm yeah. 100%. Universal or nothing. Except mm-hmm. no substitutes. Hmm. Um, Artie, what? Oh, wait. I guess we've got a caller. I this wasn't really a call-in show, but um I mean, oh, it's Brian Quimby from Street Fight. Hey Brian, what's up? Not a lot. I I love calling into shows. I rarely get to do that because I, uh, I mean, I'm on the other side of the microphone usually. That's true. That's true. Thank you for uh for joining us and and bringing uh, your message on Medicare for All to the people today. We've got a star-studded lineup of, of the best of the podcasters on the left, and we're just glad that you were able to join us finally and uh, and bring your, your hot takes on Medicare for All into the conversation. You know, I mean, when, when Bernie Sanders invented Medicare for All in 2016... <laughs> Um, you know, your, your podcast street fight, um, we're, we're pretty on the nose for starting to talk about like the ways that it could be, um, helpful to the labor movement and a very good thing for unions or revitalizing the union effort in the United States. I mean, even more than that, it would help us personally. (laughs) 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 I mean, uh, you know, we have a staff that all of them have like full-time jobs because they can't you know, they can't live without health insurance. So, you know, we, we have a staff for our show, but they all like work 40 hours a week and then fit us in when they can, which is totally fine. (laughs) But it's like with Medicare for all, you know, my wife could probably quit her job and devote herself to booking shows and taking care of me every day. (laughs) (laughs) Which is important though. I mean, you know, like, one of the things that Artie and I are punished for because he's, um, you know, an adjunct professor and podcast host and producer, um, he doesn't have health care benefits. And I, you know, am dependent on SSDI for my Medicare. Otherwise, I would be totally SOL. I was on an exchange plan this year and I am in so much debt from being on it from three for three months only. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's like a real bummer to me because I used to work at a, a, a camera store like in the, I graduated to college in 2015 and then i had to take like shitty jobs so that i could uh make a living until street fight started to make a living for me mm-hmm. and i was working at a camera store and like all the guys would come in and and in the warehouse i was in the warehouse area all the guys would come in and talk about how they were paying like a third of their paycheck for like catastrophic health care insurance that Mm -hmm. didn't cover anything and it was like i would be in conversations with these dudes and i'm like if they're gonna make you have it wouldn't it be nice if they just gave it to you and every single person says yes (laughs) they might as well just give it to us now yeah i mean have you ever worked a job in your uh job history that gave you benefits that wasn't like either uh prohibitively expensive or just didn't have benefits because i personally haven't i did the cable company and i only had to get myself covered because my wife covered my daughter Mm -hmm. And like my insurance was relatively cheap, but you know, me and my wife throw our money in the same pool. So like she was getting, I mean, she's getting killed on health insurance now. It's like, 
you know, she's been working at the same company for 20 years and I am bringing home more than her every month from doing a podcast. So, Mm -hmm. and that's mostly because she has to have me and my daughter and her covered on her healthcare. Yeah. Because I can't even imagine how expensive it is as soon as you add a family plan. I think when I was on Cobra, we looked at doing that and it went from uh, a really unaffordable $1,300 a month to, I want to say, $2,500 as soon as you wanted to start add a fam- adding a family on, which is more than I make in a month ever. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, my daughter just started Accutane like six months ago and it mm-hmm. was like... Uh, it was such a climb to get it because the insurance company denied it. And then they were like, it's going to be $700 a month. And I was like, well, I don't have $700 a month. And then somehow they figured out how to get it down to like mm-hmm. $150 a month. But if I didn't have a stupid HSA, there is no way I would have $150 a month for medicine. Yeah, and I mean, HSAs are total crap too. Um, I love every time someone likes to propose that maybe maybe the better way to fix unaffordability in healthcare is to just um, throw some pre-tax money at it and uh, make it a personal responsibility and personal spending choice, you know. Those people are like me. Like I'll explain how those people are exactly like me. It's like when I swipe the HSA card, I don't feel like I'm spending money. So it's like (laughs) basically I'm getting stuff for what I believe to be free, but I know that that money's also being taken out of my wife's check every month. (laughs) So it's, it's always like, uh, I could see somebody being like, just give them an HSA because you know, you can get free sun. Well, kind of free sunglasses from an HSA. Right, exactly. If you don't really have that many medical costs um, or you're relatively healthy, it's kind of not that big of a deal until all of a sudden, um, you know, you get the flu and you have to go to the emergency room and you owe like six or seven, if you're lucky, six or seven thousand dollars, you know. Um, I mean, I, I graduated high school and like in my late teens, in my like 18, 19, 20, in my early 20s, like I probably went to the emergency room like eight times for mm-hmm. panic attacks and kidney stones. Like I had like a f- couple of things and it was like I started adulthood in like massive debt because <laughs> I had I mean, immediate, I, 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 you know, I don't get sick very often. I'm rarely sick and I rarely go. I go to the doctor every month for my brain medicine. But like, as far as like, I don't, I don't get like ill and I haven't been injured in a very long time or anything like that. But, you know, starting out uh, like that's probably what, what made me want Medicare for all as soon as I heard about it was just like, you know, if you, if, if you have problems when you're 18 or 19, you get hit with something Mm -hmm. like this. And you're like, so like I already start out, I'm supposed to take $60,000 in loans out. And then also if I get sick, I'm, I'm in the hole, like another 40, $50,000. And I mean, I think I'm a really good example of, um, I was always someone who was rarely ever sick. The only time I was ever in the hospital was from like a stupid, um, accident, like, uh, falling off a skateboard because you decided to go down a parking garage on your stomach on a longboard or, you know, just like stupid teenage stuff. Um, 
Until one day I wasn't healthy anymore. And now since the age of 19, every single year in January, I've basically hit my full deductible immediately and uh, had to find a way to put that on a credit card. So each year, you know, the deductible's gotten higher and it's gotten harder and harder to pay it off by the end of the year. But my the care to keep me alive, um, people always love hearing this, costs like about $8 million a year if you believe the sticker price that the that the bills that I get, the, expl- the explanation of benefits um, say I cost. So it's really like... I've always been sort of trapped in in a debt-required situation as I entered adulthood, and I literally have no idea what it's like to live otherwise at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sort of I'm, I'm sort of in the same place. I mean, I got a lot of those bills written off early on, but something that I think like Medicare for All will, will alleviate is that sort of antagonism between... I think means testing is what causes like a lot of these these like very angry people to vote for like a guy like Donald Trump or something like that or to be against Medicare for all because they just like it does suck once you start making a certain amount of money they're like you're on your own you know right. <laughs> and it's not right. a lot of money i think i was making like 17 dollars an hour when i was working full time i wasn't like a millionaire or anything like that but they were just like you know my wife probably makes like forty thousand dollars a year and i was making like 17 dollars an hour and like we we had a daughter and she couldn't get wick and like i didn't get mad because you know, whatever, I'll, I'll just, I'll pay the stuff or whatever. But like, uh, her family who are conservative people were like super angry about it. It's just like a really eye opening thing to think about like the, the poverty line, the line you have to be at to get that stuff is pretty low. So it creates this thing where people who are just over it, Right. Get angry because they can't get it. Right. You know? And and there's no uh choice or private option that's like anywhere near as close as as helpful as something like Medicaid or CHIP or, you know, even beyond the health insurance thing, like there's no private snap you can turn to if you make twenty dollars more than the poverty line. You know what I yeah. mean? And it's uh you know, so so you guys talk a lot about the sort of way that workers exist now often, you know, I love when you guys do call-ins and you, uh, I think that's actually even how I first heard of Art and Labor, who they went on to become good friends of ours, was when OK Fox called into Street Fight to talk about um, conditions at Art Forum. You know, do you guys hear from a lot of union union member workers who feel that like Medicare for All would be taking something away from them or you know uh i don't know you know that argument like we've worked so hard for this like why are we gonna share we don't i i don't hear from anybody i i mean nobody's gonna call our show that's against medicare for all i don't think i mean they might call to yell at us or something like that but (laughs) you know most of the most of the stuff we get that would be against it is that like that the fans of the show that are like anarchist type people that are like Mm -hmm. just we need to just tear down the whole government and then everybody will be taken care of which i was probably if you went back and listened to some of the shows between like 2011 and 2015 you would probably find me saying that sort of thing but Mm -hmm. 
at this point now, I just, I like have a realistic view of like, <laughs> of how we're not going to, it's not happening. And like people need healthcare. So it's, there's no point in like trying to hold off for some other shoot to fall or drop or whatever that saying is. Mm-hmm. There's no time to wait for that. People just need it. And again, like my wife is, is, has been at the same company for like 20 years. She hates it. She's miserable. But she's doing everything job. right. She's got the job with benefits that she's staying in for the family. <laughs> Right. And, and she hates it and she just wants to leave. And I'm like getting to the point where I could afford to pay her what she makes, you know, like we, mm-hmm. me and Brett could afford to pay her what she makes at her, what she brings home at her job. And she can just do this. And this is what she likes to do. She likes booking shows. She likes doing like our clerical stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she's never going to be able to do it if she can't quit. Cause I mean, she's all, she's even said to me oftentimes, like I would rather like bartend or be a, a waiter than do mm-hmm. this job. Like I hate this job and she just can't do it. Cause we have a daughter and I, she let me g- quit, you know, like if I had stayed at my job, she could have been the one that quit, but she didn't right. want to quit at that time. And she like makes, makes a decision in 2011 and now she's stuck with that decision. I was, I, I feel so bad because I can't foresee a time when Street Fight's going to make an amount of money to get health insurance for our our family. Well, you can't even buy health insurance for a group that small that would do anything close to the plan she's probably getting, which is the problem with the um, you know incrementalist idea of like let's start with a public option. You know what I mean? As long as there is like a profit to be made by denying people health care, then the only way you'll be able to get any good insurance is by working for like some evil Fortune 500 company like McKinsey, because they're going to be the only people large enough to still buy plans that cover anything reasonable. You know, absolutely. I mean? Yeah. I mean, but I, I just I, Brett goes without health insurance every once in a while because it costs so much. He was living in Washington, D.C., it's really mm-hmm. expensive to live there. And his if he would have taken the family plan on if his wife would have taken the family plan, they wouldn't have been able to live. Yeah. So he had to go out and buy insurance for him and his daughter and it destroyed him. He had to move back here because it was just there was no possible way to live in, in a city like that and pay that crazy amount of money that he found on the marketplace. Right, exactly. I mean, one of the things we always talk about is that basically like employer-sponsored healthcare has always been a tool since the very beginning to uh, pay workers less, right? Because it was instituted during World War II when there were wage freezes. And so in order to still be able to hire people um, and force them to work longer, harder jobs, um, more days out of the week, they couldn't raise uh, wages in order to do that or didn't want to. And so they started offering, you know, other things that now have sort of formed the modern idea of like workplace benefits, which like I, I graduated from college in 2012, um, went into college in 2008, you know, moved to New York in the b- middle of the, the housing bubble collapsing. And, um, you know, the only reason I'm still here for now is that real estate was like so fucked for three years that, you know, I was able to get it into a cheap place and like kick my heels in because otherwise, like, I don't know what I would have done because my family lives here in New York. I would have been living 
uh, on their floor still unable to afford health insurance. You know, it's um, it's untenable both for disabled people like me who don't, you know, people don't think of us as workers or, you know, just uh, like you guys, you're being punished for being in a relationship where both of you want to do like non-normative uh, corporate work. Yeah, you know I, I mean, mean, that's like, something... You can't both have that's something I've talked about on on Street Fight a lot is like if there's somebody that you talk to that is against Medicare for all, I think that chances are they haven't thought about what that means for them at their jobs, you know, because there are there are. I mean, it's funny. We, We, you know, people talk shit about the service industry and stuff, but I know I know so many people that were so much happier when they were doing that stuff mm-hmm. than they are in their big corporate office job. I mean, my sister uh, had a very high up, uh, but she was management at nationwide insurance for a long time. And she sort of just like me, she sort of melted down and was like, I just want to cook. And <laughs> yeah. uh, she, she quit and she would, she struggled for years before she got a job that provided her with insurance. And it, it was like, not the, I, when I say like struggle, it's like, she worked her way from like going from dropping out of culinary school to, to like work at being one of the top chefs in the city. But like you, you can't really do that. That's like a thing that like, if you do that, you come out on the other end, like completely destroyed. You like destroy yourself and your relationships with your family and you're working all of these hours. And if you had some sort of bargaining chip, like a thing that's just like, I can quit this job. I don't need this. Mm -hmm. Then I think wages, I think wages and, and vacation time and stuff like that would fall in line too. People don't understand how people I don't think understand they they say that they only have their job for the insurance like you talk to Mm -hmm. almost any like working person and they'll say I only have my job for the insurance but they don't understand how free they will be when they don't have to worry about the insurance totally that 100 percent. that is a really good point and I think a really important thing for people to remember Brian, thank you so much. Hopefully, maybe we can have you guys on uh, for one of our regular episodes, just ripping to shreds some of this goddamn mean test, means testing that um, is rolling out this week. Um, or Absolutely. Today, we'll rather. be in New York in May. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. 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 We we can probably work something out. Are and, you guys going uh, to be in both uh, of us. Are you going to be in Milwaukee for uh, the convention at all too yeah we're gonna be in milwaukee and charlotte oh nice yeah we'll be we'll be up there in june also so um yeah we'll be around we're gonna be out all year so nice love it headed towards a crazy year (laughs) all right that was cool and uh now back to our program much thanks to brian of street fight um, Artie, do you want to play the Reagan clip? Now? Yeah. So, uh, second part of the Reagan clip. Sorry, Leslie. Also, <laughs> uh, brace yourself. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just figured that this would be a good uh, way to wrap out our charity spectacular with a little, just a little look at Reagan's own call to action against yeah, socialized medicine. Maybe you can inspire uh, our own call to action afterwards. Right. What can we do about this? Well, you and I can do a great deal. We can write to our congressmen, to our senators. We can say right now that we want no further encroachment on these individual liberties and freedoms. 
And at the moment, the key issue is we do not want socialized medicine. The only way we can do it is by writing to our congressman, even if we believe that he's on our side to begin with, write to strengthen his hand, give him the ability to stand before his colleagues in Congress and say, I have heard from my constituents and this is what they want. Write those letters now, call your friends and tell them to write them. If you don't, this program, I promise you, will pass just as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. And behind it will come other federal programs that will invade every area of freedom as we have known it in this country. Until one day, as Norman Thomas said, we will awake to find that we have socialism. And if you don't do this, and if I don't do it, one of these days, you and I are going to spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. <laughs> I hope he's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to be telling people about this. Like, if I can make it to 80, Surely right? as the sun will rise. I can't wait to tell people about all the things that used to happen in America that maybe won't. You know what I mean? Yeah. When we were free, when we were free a... and dying in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day I'll tell my grandchildren about America where you will you were free to go into massive debt because you called an ambulance uh, to help you. Right. Where mm -hmm. you were free uh, to go into work, and, you know, sick um, with the flu uh, even because you don't have enough sick days and, and you couldn't afford to go to the doctor anyway. That kind of freedom is, you know, something that I feel, feel fear is going to be taking away from us very, very soon uh, if Bernie <laughs> Sanders is elected. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least we used to have choice. At least we used to have the choice right. of whether to go into work or to die quietly in a gutter. Right. It yeah, affords you, us a wide degree of choices on how we want to approach our own immiseration. <laughs> yeah, see, people aren't allowed to die on the factory floor anymore. Now someone dies, you got to stop work. You got to treat the body with respect. You can't just, like, throw a cone up Ugh. and call 911 at the end of the shift. Literally. You, know, you got to actually handle your dead as if they have intrinsic value outside of their productive capacity on the workflow line. You know what I mean? It was yeah. it was beautiful. We never had to do that back then. Yeah. You just let people die wherever just they wanted to. Give people a fifteen minute wellness break when their coworker collapses on the when their pregnant coworker collapses on the floor of exhaustion, you know. Yeah. All that. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I so. mean, we're increasingly rattling towards a full on consolidated company town where we just exist as, um, you know, bags of labor and profit. You know, we're just a we're a resource in that we're a pass through mechanism for corporations to make right. money under capitalism. And we are a protected resource that must be maintained in order for <laughs> these uh, corporations to remain viable. Yeah, but that's correct. true. Yeah. America truly is the biggest cor uh, company town. <laughs> yes, experiment it's true. <laughs> and, and us, the humans are like us as a resource. We can be depleted a little bit and it's fine. You know, just not too much. Just not, you know. <laughs> God, yeah. disgusting. <laughs> well, I We're was, strong. We'll grow back. <laughs> I always love when, you know, charity steps in to fix problems like overpopulation oh or my God. malaria. <laughs> yeah, talk about because Davos. Really, like, like, that's all. They're all just like <laughs> debating different levels of eugenics to commit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they actually had like a whole special room in Davos that was called like the... Uh, equality room or something that was for press conferences as well. Did you guys see that? Great. It was uh, no. 
Yes. Yeah. They are. They artificially created a room where just like for just a moment, everybody is equal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> artificially. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, by, by really rigorously selecting means testing, if you will, there's a lot of access <laughs> to the room. I want to I do want to point out, hopefully, I mean, I'm sure this isn't the case, but it's funny looking back this again, that clip from Reagan is from 1961 from his uh, what is it like spoken word album of his uh, right wing political views, basically. Um, but um, I don't know. It's interesting to me how the the prescription there resolves in a letter writing campaign. And mm-hmm. I just kind of want to uh, put a pin in this too. I've said it before. I've said it again. Um, well, this is so like for context, this is going to air uh, and this will be clear to the listener, I guess. But this will air between Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, so uh, future people listening to us. God, I hope Iowa went well, uh, and I hope New <laughs> Hampshire goes well. But um, regardless, even if uh, Sanders does get elected, we are going to have to like, like pile bodies on Capitol Hill to get this yes. passed. Yeah. We're going to have to do yeah. every fucking thing we can do, we can, and like fight like hell. So, yeah. Um, I mean, this this uh, the Ronald Reagan LP is a famous piece of propaganda um, that was, I think, called like Operation Coffee Cup. When it was an a- when it was like being recorded, which was a whole album with just Ronald Reagan speaking out against socialized medicine, so I kind of feel like we should start making our own like spoken word, or just like <laughs> Don't start. Don't we do that twice a week? Right, that's true. That's true. It's true. Yeah, I guess that's what a podcast. Yeah, is. but if you well, but I mean, if you consolidate it and then sell it as a box set, what then... if we made it on a cassette tape though? <laughs> You're gonna introduce physical scarcity into your socialism product. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Bernie making his own spoken word crazy yes, shit? Yes, he did. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Maybe I can find a good one of those to play yeah. as the outro God, to this. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for for lending your expertise and time today for our very first ever um, stunt crossover special episode, concluding the very first annual Medicare for All Week presented by the Death Panel. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, annual if we're not all just dead, dead. Next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, if, or if we just knock it out of the park and get it done in one year i'd be down with that also <laughs> yeah. yeah depending we'll, on we'll how see. much money my drug company needs to make this year i may or may not be around for next year's medicare for all <laughs> God. and, and, uh, and but, uh, optimistic view would be if if we are on a path towards med uh, Medicare for all, like maybe death panel will be some sort of like um, recruitment propaganda outlet for that. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing okay our best. Okay. <laughs> I like when uh, when Artie and I go visit. Okay, at work we uh, like to talk about tactics for cornering people at parties and talking to them about <laughs> communism. Oh so God. I think we just need to expand that into our day to day lives. It's called praxis <laughs> sorry for that one i apologize hey, um, i'm ready anyways, to be a paid oh, shell by the bernie campaign i don't give a shit yeah. <laughs> i mean if they provide health insurance yeah. right like well, sure there are at least two surrogates appearing in the medicare for all week programming so there we go yeah. here you are <laughs> is it me that's true is it yeah from the future <laughs> is it me maybe by the time this airs three okay is putting it out there <laughs> Um, thank you guys both for coming on and joining us for this special event. We really appreciate it. Um, 
should we uh, plug the side projects that you guys do? Your main projects, rather? Because that was side a weird product. way to say that, because it's not like your main um, uh, hobby is coming on our podcast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Your um, full-time job of coming on yes. our podcast every so, now and then. <laughs> thank you, Leslie, of the infamous Struggle Session podcast and OK of Art and Labor. Um, check out both of their work. Um, they are good friends and family of the pod. And uh, we appreciate our extended community. So thank you guys for joining us for this. Thank you so much um, for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me too. And uh, I think with that, support Struggle Session and Art and Labor and Death Panel on Patreon because all of us are working for y'all, not for, um, you know, Apple and whatever billion dollar company. We're not doing like... Uh paid ad reads for Lockheed Martin over <laughs> no. or something. No, and we could because they're, no, they're asking. Some yeah. My spam folder is full of requests <laughs> for that kind for of Raytheon? advertising. Ugh, that's wild. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Alright, I think with that, do your best to stay alive another week, and thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening to Medicare for All Week from the Deaf Panel. Subscribe wherever podcasts are distributed to hear a brand new interview on single-payer healthcare every day until the 11th of February. And support us at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod for patron-only episodes, and to help us make series like Medicare for All Week possible. We are entirely listener-supported and extremely lacking in quality healthcare. Goodbye for now. Until next time patreon.com slash death panel pod <laughs>